uh, I'm reliably informed, not having uh, done this myself, that at the end of a marathon or, or, a, or partway through, uh, some refreshment is rather important, shall we say. And there are times when refreshment is more meaningful than others. Sometimes you pick up a glass of water, a cup of tea, whatever it is, and you drink it, and it's nice, but it's no big deal. There are other times when you pick up that, say, glass of water, and it's about to save your life. You're so parched, so hot, so dehydrated. Amy would know about that kind of thing from all the sports that she does. And some of us who come from hot climates and have been in hot places, you'll know how that feels. And today, what I want to talk about is, is how we keep going when we are at the end of our resources. How do we keep going? And it's on my mind because, you know, a reunion, a 40th anniversary of graduation, I realize I, I am of that generation. I mean, I am in my 60s. I am getting older. I have a tendency to flag um, quicker than I used to. And, and having a granddaughter has reminded me that, okay, I'm in that stage of life. And my body is telling me that I'm in that stage of life. And the pressures of life, I thought as you got older, life would get simpler. But, but it appears, yes, right, I got laughter from back there. It, it appears that's not the case. And life has different challenges and different stages of life. And one of, the, one of the things we have to reckon with is how do we sustain our life, our spirit, our, our aliveness, especially with God, as we get older in the faith and as we get older in our body. So let me ask you, when you're flagging, what lifts your spirit? When you're in that place where you're flagging, it could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be spiritually, but in any sense, you know, what, what actually lifts you, refreshes you? What sorts of things do that for us? What would you say? Yeah? Sitting in the garden under a tree where it's nice and warm and sunny and just looking at flowers with a glass of water with my kids. <laughs> a calm, beautiful place. Chocolate. Chocolate does it. <laughs> Danny says what lots of us were thinking. Good play. 80s music. 80s music. Yes. All right. <laughs> Bill. Praying. Praying makes all the difference. Liesl. Good news. Some good news. All right. Yeah, excellent. Back. I can't see who's that. Oh, yes. Time with friends and family. They lift our spirits, don't they? Yeah. What else? Appreciate the night sky with my daughter. The night sky, watching it with your daughter. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. I'll take a nap. Take a nap. <laughs> don't, don't do it now. <laughs> uh, not right now. Later is okay. All right, yes. Seeing someone succeed. Seeing somebody else succeed. Wow. That's deep. And really, I like that. Yeah. Seeing somebody else succeed lifts your spirit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Seeing a South African rugby victory? Oh, <laughs> or is that just normal? Normal, you just accept it. It's not that refreshing, it's just normal. Okay. But uh, different things like that, yeah. Finding Finding someone to talk to, right? Who will actually listen. <laughs> right? Yeah. Someone who will listen when we talk to them, right? Yeah. Time with family, many of whom are even present. Uh, yeah. Oh, you mean? Really? <laughs> I saw that out later. Uh, Akin. Uh, just, just time away from it. 
Just time away from the normal things mm -hmm. of life. Yeah, yeah. Look, do I see one more hand somewhere? Yeah. Sorry to say, but also I think actually telling God exactly how I feel. Right. Telling people, telling God. Exactly how you feel. Having, in a sense, I suppose, the confidence to believe that that is something that God wants to hear, and knowing that He hears that. Yeah, I can. Yeah, that's, that makes sense, doesn't it? There are a number of things that refresh us. I want to talk about one thing in particular today that I think is is critical, crucial in the Christian life, for our refreshment and to endure and keep going in the marathon of the life of the Christian life to make it to the end. And it's about this. It's about what voice you're listening to in your head. What voice dominates in your head? Now, we've got professional therapists in this church, so I'm going to be careful not to stray into the technical therapy side of it, but I, but I do know from my own experiences with therapy that dealing with the key voices in our heads, which is often from our childhood, often from our parents, and often from our fathers in particular, that voice and how we interpret that voice, how we hear it as we grow up to be, uh, whether we're teenagers or later in life, that voice really matters. What voice dominates makes such a difference. And so we're going to ask ourselves the question today, what voice did Jesus have in his head? Remember, he was as human as you and me. So it'd be too easy to dismiss this and say, well, of course, Jesus was God, and of course, he had a perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit, and therefore, by the way, that's why we sang the song about Father, Son, and Spirit just now. There's a theme of those kinds of songs in the service today. Um, it'd be easy to say, well, Jesus was very different, he was divine, and therefore, of course, he heard God's voice perfectly all the time, and therefore, he didn't have any struggles with this. But that would be to deny his humanity. What voice did Jesus have in his head? So let's have a look at a few scriptures today. We're going to ju jump around a little bit in the scriptures and talk about some, some things about, and then see what we can draw out of this. So Matthew chapter 3, for example, in the Gospels here, uh, we have Jesus at his baptism. And as he comes out of the water of baptism, this is what happens. He hears this voice. I'll begin it in verse 16, actually, just before what's on the screen. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. So the Father is speaking here. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. My son whom I love, I'm well pleased with him. How do you think Jesus felt hearing that? I think the voice was also for those who were present. It wasn't only for Jesus. I think it was giving those witnesses to the baptism and the affirmation that this is God's son. But surely it's for Jesus as well. You've been baptized, now you're ready for your mission. Remember, Jesus didn't start his mission until he was baptized, about 30, 33 years old. So he starts at this point with the affirmation of his father ringing in his ears. No doubt what the father thinks of him. This continues in Matthew 17. 
And the passage often referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is up on a mountain um, with a couple of his disciples. And once again, we hear the voice that comes down in a cloud, bright cloud. And this bright cloud covers all the people there. And a voice from the cloud comes out and says, this is my son, the father speaking again, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again, the voice is for the people present, but it's also for Jesus, sure. Because he's about to go on the next phase of his ministry, which is going to lead him directly to the cross. It's going to be very challenging. He's having that affirmation once again. You know, for Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, um, other voices tried to get into his head. The Pharisees tried to get into his head, didn't they? They argued with him. You're wrong. You're interpreting the law wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. You're hanging out with the wrong people. They were trying to get into his head. The Sadducees were trying to get into his head. What about the resurrection? The teachers of the law tried to get into his head. The scribes tried to, tried to get into his head. His mother and his brothers tried to get into his head. His brothers said, who are you to go around doing all this stuff? His mother wanted to take care of him because she thought he was out of his mind. I mean, they were trying to get into his head, to, have a, to create a different narrative in his head as to who he was and who God thought of him uh, as to be. Different people. And of course, ultimately, the devil tried to get into his head in the wilderness, right after this baptism. If you're the son of God, turn the stone into bread. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. If you're uh, the son of God, do this, that, and the other. And by the way, why don't you worship me and I'll give you everything. He was trying to get into Jesus' head. We have voices trying to get into our heads. The voices of the advertisers that say, unless you have this thing, you are not going to be happy. Believe me, you will not be happy unless you buy this. Now! We had the voice of our parents, or the voice of our children, the voice of our grandparents or grandchildren. We had the voice of our neighbors, we had the voice of our colleagues, we had the voice of sometimes church members who, perhaps well-meaning, but don't give us the best advice. We have many voices. If Jesus needed the voice of the Father, how much more you and me, you and I do, right? We need to hear this voice above all other voices. And because he prioritized this, and I think Jesus did because it says in Luke that he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why was he doing that? I think there were many times, many reasons he went away to pray and be on his own. But I think part of it was to get away from the other voices, even his disciples, because his disciples, remember, their voices also sometimes weren't the most helpful. To say the least, he had to get away from everybody just to be with his father so he could hear his father's voice and kind of recalibrate, squeeze out the voices of the world to be able to hear his. And because of that, he was then able to be fully willingly submissive to the will of God for his life, even though it was so challenging. The will of God for his life was, it was tough, wasn't it? Ending up on the cross. Was it easy for Jesus to hear the Father's voice? Now, that's a very philosophical debate we could have sometime. Which, you know, we're not going to get into all, all of that right now. But I don't think it was always easy for him. Even though he was the Son of God, he was fully human. Remember this passage in Hebrews 5, which Paul's going to talk about a bit more later in, in the communion. What was his prayer life like? Prayers, petitions, fervent cries, tears. Prayers or tears to the one who could save him from death. Did God save him from death? Well, no. 
I mean, you could say yes with the resurrection, but no, he had to die first, right? The resurrection wouldn't be anything without the death. So God didn't save him from death. He could have, but didn't. And Jesus allowed that to happen. But it still says he was heard. So in what sense was he heard if he wasn't delivered from death? I think it just means the father listened. The father understood. The father affirmed, it's okay, I'm still with you. I'm strengthening you to be able to carry out my will, your mission on this earth. That's the wonderful relationship between the father and the son. It was as costly as yours and mine. It required investment, time, energy, devotion, time away from other things that could be done. I mean, all that time Jesus is in the wilderness praying, shouldn't he be healing some more people? Couldn't he be converting some more people? Couldn't he be instructing his disciples more fully? He could have been, but all of that would have had limited impact. It would have been kind of empty if he hadn't had the father's strength. And to have the father's strength, he needed to hear the father's voice. Because the father's strength isn't like you open up a receptacle and pour it in, like you, you get something from Tesco and, and you've got it on your shelf. It's, it, it's not like that. The, the strength is a relational strength. It's, it's filling us up with, with who the father is. That's what strengthens us. So he needed to hear the father's voice. And it changed him and it changed humanity, it changed everything, it changes us. It wasn't easy. In Gethsemane, he prays the night before of his arrest. Abba, Father. You know Abba, Abba? That's the dad word in Greek, the, the dad, father, intimate thing. It's not a label, Father. It's the, oh, my, my Father. Everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. I, I, I really don't want to do this, but not what I will, what you will. How was he able to be that submissive to something so awful? It's because he knew that his father was his Abba father. It was a real close relationship. And the relevance for this, <coughs> excuse me, for us, at least in part, is because we have access to the same relationship. In Romans 8, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. And by the way, sonship's very deliberate there. Of course, it means sonship and daughtership in the sense that both men are, and women are included. But without going into the detail, sonship is why it's not translated sons and daughters. Um, and the next verse about being, uh, uh, about, about being his sons, it's important because in that culture, the sons were the ones who inherited so he's saying not just, you know, it applies to men and women, but what it means is you share in exactly the same inheritance that Jesus has, which is to be with the Father forever. We cry, Abba, Father, because you are his sons, and by implication also the daughters, of course. God sent his son, the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So Jesus calls out, Abba, Father, and he lives in you and me. And so when we pray and we connect with the Father, it's the same connection with the Father that Jesus has and had. It's the same. What a wonderful privilege. And it's why we need to get away from the other voices so that we can hear that voice. That voice is the one who will strengthen us. And we know that God will treat us the same way as he treated Jesus because Jesus was like us. Hebrews 4. We have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus. Let's hold, therefore, firmly to the faith we profess. In other words, that marathon, 
hold firmly all through your Christian life, all the way to the end, because we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, and you and I have plenty, right? I often don't feel like praying. Most of the time I go out for a walk in the woods to pray. Nearly every day I do the same thing. There are days when I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it. But Jesus understands that. He understands our weakness. He empathizes. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just like you and me. Whatever your main temptation this week has been, Jesus had felt the same kind of temptation on this earth. But he didn't sin. So let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us, you and me, in our time of need. The Father's strength, the Father's voice is available to you and me anytime. And it's because Jesus empathizes. Now, I want to say a word about that. Empathy is very different from sympathy or understanding. Does God understand us? Yes. Does he sympathize with us? I think so. But what we learn here is that Jesus empathizes. Now, again, our therapists could give us a better full definition of empathy, but I'm just going to say for the moment today, you know when you're with somebody who's being empathic. You know it. Because you are the only person that they seem to care about when they're talking to you or listening more often to you. They're completely focused on you. There's nothing else that matters. They're completely with you. They're not judging you. They are not only listening, but they are absorbing what you're saying, and in a sense, I suppose, how you're feeling. They're with you, heart and soul, like, like almost like one person in some ways. That's how Jesus is with us. We, when we're praying, we're the only person he's concerned about, in a sense. I mean, it, it's a, I don't quite understand metaphysically how this works, but he's completely focused on us. He's never distracted. He, when we pray and say, God, I'm struggling with this, or Father, or Jesus, I'm struggling with this, he says, I know, I understand. Not only I understand, I have felt that. I'm with you in this. This is an amazing privilege that we have. So what voice is dominating in your head at the moment? What voice is shaping your behavior and your beliefs about yourself and about God? The voice in our head matters more than any other voice. When I was 17, I was doing my A-levels, second year of A-levels, like Luke. And one of my A-levels was music. I wanted to go to university to study music to Birmingham, where I showed you that photograph. And to go and study music at that university at that time, I had to have certain qualifications in two different musical instruments. That was the one, of, one of the, they accepted my A-level grades, fine, but I had to have particular qualifications in these two instruments. So uh, my first instrument was going to be my voice, and I, I, I hadn't done an exam, but I had a, an authenticating letter from somebody who could authenticate that I had the equivalent of grade eight voice. So grade eight, if you're not familiar with music, instruments, you start at grade one and you go up to grade eight and then there's a diploma level beyond that and all kinds of fancy things for really, really clever, really good instrumentalists like Becky. So but you can get the, the normal grades are, are one to eight. So anyway, one to eight. And voice, I go, okay, eight, fine. But I had to have a second instrument and I wasn't really very good at any other instruments, but I, I was already learning to play the piano. So I decided, okay, I've got to get grade six in piano. So the second instrument, I've got to get grade six. 
And I, I am not uh, gifted as a pianist. I can play fine, I play wrong notes, like I did today in some of those songs. Some of you noticed, some of you didn't, amen. <laughs> <clears throat> so I had to get grade six, and I, I do find, particularly the more technical classical music, very challenging. Right? Playing some chords, fine, but the technical stuff, like a Bach, piece of Bach, uh, a two-piece and two-part invention, I, I, I really struggle. And I had to do a, a one in F major that was part of my exam, and it's really fast, and it, my fingers would, you know, get confused. And, and with all of that, knowing that I wasn't a great pianist and I was going to struggle with grade six, but I had to get it, it made me very nervous. And because when you get anxious about something, then it, because it makes it even worse. So I had a piano teacher called Michael Lewis. In fact, I'll show you a picture of him. Uh, around that time. So this is the choir I used to sing in. Uh, this is a cathedral we were singing in one summer. And the, let me see this pointer. That's him, that's my piano teacher, Michael Lewis. I don't think I'm in the picture, I'm taking, I'm taking the picture. No, my dad is there, that's my father. Actually, many of you have met. Uh, but no, I'm taking the picture, I'm not in it. But um, I did look like one of those um, cherubic little boys um, uh, a long time ago. So he was my piano teacher and he was great. Uh, he used to come around to my house and uh, sit in with me and we'd have a lesson and he'd stay for dinner with my parents afterwards. Really nice guy, my choir master, very important influence on in my life. In fact, very important. So we're practicing towards the grade six. I'm playing, I'm practicing all the pieces I need to get grade six. And I'm struggling, I'm making mistakes in the, in the lessons and all that. And every time I make a mistake, he'd reassure me. He said, that's okay, Malcolm, just practice that bar again. Okay, practice that line again. Okay, come in at bar 37, just play to there. Okay, just work on this bit in the right hand. Okay, work on this bit in the left hand. Now put those two bits together. And week after week, I mean, this was months for me, because I worked on this for a long time. I worked on probably, I don't know how long it was, but months, right? And he would just say, you can do it. It's fine, no, that, you, you've played that bit right before, you'll play it right again, you did it wrong that time, but you have played it right a previous time, so you will play it right again in the future, just do it again and try this and try this technique and practice this bit between now and next week we have our next lesson and next week it'll be fine. This went on for week after week, month after month. Eventually the day came for the exam, which I remember like a visceral, you know, like one of those memories, you just, of so, Tense. I mean, my, my, my future de depended on this. That's how I felt. So I went into the exam, and I started to play these pieces. And something happened, which I can't quite explain. But I wasn't as tense as I expected to be. I wasn't as anxious. I wasn't as you know, anxious as I expected to be. I realized... I don't think, I, I didn't process it at the time because I look back on it now. I realized instead of, what, what was happening was the voice of my piano teacher, of Michael Lewis, was louder in my head than the voice of my doubts. His voice was louder than the voice of my own fears. Because of that, I played the pieces, I played them, just well enough <laughs> to get a pass. And I went to university, studied music, met Penny, hallelujah. <laughs> Best thing that ever happened. And all of that because I had his voice in my head. So you need the right voice. I still send him a Christmas card every year. 
and we had a chance to visit him. A few years ago, we were holidaying in the area where he lived. I knew where he lived, because I had his address, because I sent him a Christmas card. But we just walked past and knocked on the door. Um, I didn't have a phone number for him. And uh, there he is. One of the most important men in my life. One of the most important voices at one of the most important times in my life. I'll never forget him. So, the question is, what's the voice in your head? Is it your heavenly Father's voice? What can you do to amplify the voice of the Father in your head? What steps could you take this week to enable his voice to be loud? Thank you.